Uh, isn't it good to be here? Yeah, it's just, it's great to see you all, way better than an empty room, and we are glad uh, that we can be back together. A uh, lot going on in our country, and I think it would be good for us to just stop and pray as we start this part of our service. Let's pray together. Father, first of all, we want to thank you for keeping us safe uh, as a church, as people here uh, during this, all the stuff that's going on. And Father, we also realize uh, that you've blessed our country even in this. And Father, we also realize that there's a lot of strife and uh, issues going on in our country right now. And you've allowed us, because we based a country on your principles, to be a beacon of freedom around the world. And God, we want to make sure that we are a beacon of not just freedom, but justice for all people especially those right here amongst us. And Father, we pray that you give our leaders wisdom. And Father, we pray for those of ours who will be uh, traveling to some of the larger cities uh, to help. Lord, we just, again, we thank you and we pray that you'd help us as a nation turn back to you because that's the best way that there will be freedom and justice for all. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, it's been uh, 10 weeks Ten weeks ago, we stopped having our indoor services. We kept doing live online services. A lot of you were tuning in. We were doing outdoor services at the drive-in. A lot of you were coming there, and now we're getting started. Next week, Tiffin will get started with us in Northwood, and so just excited about all those things happening. Now, a lot of us got a taste of church online, right? How many did that? You know, you, you kind of did that, and, but now how many of you thought while you're watching church online, something's missing? You know, that's the way I was feeling. This just isn't quite getting it. I mean, this is okay. This is better than not having it. It's a blessing. We thank God. But in another sense, wow, something is missing. And, and we're going to look at Scripture and find out exactly why that is, why we feel something's missing. And I'd like you to turn right now to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to start in a passage in verse 19. Actually, Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 25, that's one long Greek sentence, and we're going to just start with the first few verses. Hebrews 10, 19, here's what it says. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, and I, I just want to pause there. He's building up to something, and what's hap happened now is up to this point, in Hebrews, it's been all about Jesus and what he has done for us, and he's, he's laying the foundation of what it means, what Christ has done, so that we could be believers. And now he's writing to believers, and he's basically saying, since this has been done for us, here's what we should do. That's what he's saying. And, and he's saying, since we have this unbelievable gift, this indescribable gift that Christ made possible in salvation, that we were separated from God because of our sin, 
But in God's love for us, he sent his son who lived a sinless life and voluntarily gave up his life to die to pay our correct penalty for sin. And that we can have forgiveness through faith. And by the way, not just forgiveness, but forgiveness and cleansing and access to the Father. Christ's righteousness is accredited to our account. And because of that, we can have a connection with the holy and righteous God. And he's saying because of that, because of that kind of a gift, because here he's writing primarily believers. He's saying because of all of that, he talks about the veil, the curtain. And we, Matthew, Mark, and Luke recorded for us in their, in their gospels that when Christ died on the cross, the veil and the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the inner sanctuary was split in two, top to bottom. And that was a symbol for us that it wasn't just one man that could go into the Holy Holies one day a year, but now God was accessible to all of us through Christ the veil. And he's saying all this, hey, as believers, because you have this kind of an indescribable gift that we need to, that, that, that we can have access to God simply through faith in Christ, the veil, the one who died for us. Based on that, we as believers should take three actions based on what he's been saying up to this point in Hebrews what Christ, who he is, and what he's done for us, how he's made a way for us, how we can be accessible to God. He says, hey, we as believers should take three actions. And the first is draw near to God. That we as believers, once we, we don't just draw near to God when we become believers, but as believers, he's telling us, draw near to God. Here's what he says in the very next verse. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's saying now we have confidence to enter into a holy God's presence. And it's not because of anything that we've accomplished. It's because of this indescribable gift that God has offered to us through his son Jesus. That we, as sinful people, are invited to draw near to a holy and righteous God. Because Christ was the perfect sacrifice and made a way. I think about this draw near to God, and a lot of times we talk to people, and, and maybe you've done this, a lot of Christians sometimes will ask somebody, they'll say, hey, do you want to go to heaven? And, and there's a majority answer to that, you know, people are like, yeah, you know, what's not to like about heaven? Sure, sign me up. But there might be a better question to ask, and that is, do you want to connect with God? Do you want to be near a righteous and holy God? Because there's a lot of people that want to go to heaven. They just don't want there to be a holy and righteous God 
They don't want a holy and righteous God there when they arrive. You know, that's the issue. If you don't want to draw near to a holy and righteous God, why heaven? That's where God is, face to face with us. After we begin a relationship with God, it's just the beginning. We start with faith, but then we live different lives because we have this access, this opportunity, this gift to draw near to him. And he's saying that we should do that in view of what Jesus did, in view of the cost of the sacrifice, in view of the price that Jesus paid, that we should approach God with deep sincerity, not at salvation, we should do that too, but as we continue as believers, that we would daily approach God deeply sincere, wanting to be near Him because He died for us. And that's what we can experience. Closeness to Him. Every day. A connection. We can do life with Him. We can feel His presence in our lives. Do you experience that daily? Because that's what the writer's saying here. Draw near to God. We have access as believers. Come, do life with God. Be close to God. Experience his closeness in your life. There's nothing sweeter than doing life with God and feeling his pleasure. And that's what he wants for all of us. That's the first action, that we as believers would draw near to God. And then the next verse is going to describe the second. There's three of these. And the second is that we would hold fast to God's Word. Draw near to God, hold fast to God's Word, is what he's telling. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And now this confession of our hope is this truth that he's been writing about. This who Jesus is, what he's done for us, how he's opened up this new and living way, the truth from God revealed to us in Scripture. And he's challenging us. We should hold tight, hold on to God's word. It's our source of truth We live in a world where everybody has an opinion, where news executives decide what it is that we need to hear. Everybody has an agenda to promote what they think is good and right or what they want for their own political or power reasons. But God's word is an anchor. It's truth because it comes from above us. It's not made by us. It comes from outside of us. We can hold tight to God's truth without wavering because God is faithful. He keeps his promises. We can take it to the bank. When God promises, it's a done deal for us. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to waver. We know. It's a certainty. It's bedrock truth. 
in a constantly changing world, and it's important for all of us to read the Bible, study the Bible, think about the Bible, talk about the Bible, learn the Bible, memorize pieces of Scripture that will help us. I mean, that's what we should be doing as a believer. And so there should be a consistent time during the week or a daily time maybe where we focus on God's Word. A lot of us here are reading through the Bible on the same plan. There's a lot of different ways to do that. And so today we were reading about Solomon and building cities and just as the story arc flows through the Old Testament, all pointing to Christ. We've got to have a way to intake God's Word. Church is part of that, but God's Word. Hold tight to God's Word. So draw near to God. Hold tight to God's Word. And then third, this last major point that he's talking about is, and I'll just summarize it this way. He's saying, keep meeting together with God's people. Draw near to God. Hold tight to God's word. Keep meeting with God's people. We see that starting in verse 24 where he says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now that not forsaking, that that phrase, our own assembling together, that's church. That's New Testament church. That's what he's talking about there. That's what we should be doing as Christians. He's saying, he's saying, Christians, church is essential. You know, government's been making all these decisions. What's an essential business? What's not? All this stuff. Everybody, nobody likes all the decisions. You know, everything's going on. But for believers, church is essential. That's what God's saying. Not forsaking your, our own assembling together as is the habit of son. He's saying, don't do what some are doing by not meeting together. Don't stop meeting together. You know, and, and maybe we're all in danger of that becoming our habit. And I know some of you are like, well, hold it, Kevin. You're telling us we shouldn't stop going to church. But then we just canceled church. What are you thinking? What's going on? Yeah, we stopped church for 10 weeks. Now, in one sense, you know, we were still, but it's not the same. It's not, online church is not the same. Even driving church, better than online church in a lot of ways, but it's still not the same. You're not really interacting, and that's the point of church. And so when it comes, you know, how, you know how it starts? First of all, I was very glad that our governor exempted churches because that's our constitutional right. And not every state did that. So, I, of course, he said they shouldn't meet. <laughs> but, you know, I appreciate the fact that he didn't make it illegal. And I'm not even sure it's legal to do that. But, you know, so shout out to the governor, the governor for that. But then, so we balance our constitutional right or more importantly, our biblical mandate with our mission in our community, in our areas, in our communities, and the world. And not so much the world, but our communities is what we're thinking about with this shutdown. So we decided, and you know how it started? 15 days at first, right? Then 50 days went to 30 days, and 30 days, you know, and then it just keeps going. And then you realize, who have we given power to here, you know? And all I can tell you 
is God has protected us through that. We need to get back to church. And if this happens again anytime soon, I don't, I don't see us stopping church. I mean, you know, it's not just my call. Wow. <laughs> That, you're the faithful, you know, you're the ones that are here. So we'll, we'll see what people online are saying about that. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. Because it's interesting. You know, people, I can't wait to get back to church, wait to get back to church. And I'm thinking, man, we're going to have a great Sunday. And then what do I notice? Oh, we're going to have great weather. Uh-oh. Because <laughs> some of you aren't coming back if there's great weather. Because you got to go camping, you got to go to the woods, you know, you got to do all this stuff. Don't forsake your own assembling together. As is the habit of some, don't do that, he's saying. And by the way, I know some, there'll, there'll be some people, I'll probably get myself in trouble. There's probably some people out in the woods, at the lake, at their campers or whatever, and they're sitting around with another believing family, and they're going, well, I'm a believer, you're a believer, this is church. No, that's not church. I mean, that's good, that's Christian fellowship, that is not church. Church is God's idea, Jesus founded the church, he will build the church, and God's intention is for all of us to meet regularly as believers in local churches around the world and not just meet together, not just be there, but to participate in church. Because God has specifically equipped and enabled every single believer to contribute to the ministry of the church, to have some skill, some uh, enabling, some gift, some talent, And the church is not everything the church should be until all of its members are really doing church, participating in church together. And i got to tell you, having been around the world, we're spoiled in America. We take religious freedom so for granted. And we start thinking it's kind of like this just about everywhere else. It is not like this around the world. Do you understand that? I mean, I can go down the list here. In Nigeria, Christians have been increasingly killed and beheaded by the Fulani jihadists. That's a tribe of herders that's all over all different nations in Africa, beheaded by them. Of course, doesn't really make the network nudes here. That's not important. They're Christians. It's kind of how that works. Christians, by the way, the most persecuted people group in the world. That's Nigeria. India, churches today being destroyed, pastors beaten, Bibles are burned, while the government turns a blind eye. India just recently received a warning from the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom because the Hindu nationalist government has decided that everybody should be Hindu. They allowed over 300 attacks last year. That's an attack like every day. Last year in India on Christian sites, Christian places of worship. A lot of times while the services were happening, government's done nothing. That's India. China. Hear a lot about China these days. China, the church is severely restricted by the communist regime, regime, 
There's church closings. There's arrests. The churches are under surveillance by the government if they know they're there. You have a few sort of registered churches by the government so they can say there's some expression of Christianity there. But there are signs, no children allowed. All their services are taped and surveilled. Happens all the time. That's, that's China. Recently, one of the government-sanctioned churches that had a a church building that sat over 3,000 people, they came in and they just started knocking it down during a service. And when the people went out to ask for papers or why this, there's no documentation, no papers, no nothing, they just tore down the church building. We just showed the images of that. Iran, 800,000 Christians face intense persecution in a place where converting to Christianity is illegal. Iraq, even after the defeat of ISIS, Christians still suffer persecution and the effects of their populations being systematically destroyed by Islamic extremists. North Korea, big difference between South Korea. South Korea has a lot of Christians. They're thriving. They send out missionaries everywhere. They're, they're doing probably that better than we are. North Korea, on the other hand, which is also in the news a lot, is one of the most dangerous countries for Christians. Citizens are taught that the ruling family, the Kims, they are near divine beings. I mean, citizens, they have to have, you know, the two rulers, the, the God, what, Kim Jong-un, who is it, whichever, and Kim Jong-il, you know, both of those, they got to have their portraits in their houses, in their schools, everywhere, both of them. They have to dust and clean them every day. People come in and check on that. And of course, the Kims cannot allow Christians because that would be a threat to what they're saying they are, how they represent themselves as divine. You can't, you can't believe in a God and say that the Kims are supreme. So Christianity is considered a threat to the family, the government, the ruling family and the government. They say still, after all this persecution for decades, there's still around 300,000 Christians, it's estimated, severely persecuted. Saudi Arabia, a country that our country is close to in a lot of ways. Saudi Arabia, who we do a lot of business with, they ban public practice of any non-Muslim religion. You cannot say you're part of another religion. There are no churches, zero churches in Saudi Arabia for the country's 1.4 million Christians. No churches. Christian symbols or meetings of any kind, illegal. Secretary of State Pompeo redesignated Saudi Arabia as a country that violates religious freedom because of that. I just read an article this morning where they're warning travelers, because Saudi Arabia is kind of opening up for more tourism, that, oh, if you're traveling, by the way, if you have a Bible, you need to keep that hidden. If you have more than one Bible, they will arrest you. That's Saudi Arabia. And it goes on and on. Last year, President Trump 
met with a gospel singer and torture survivor, tortured because she was a Christian in Eritrea. The State Department says persecution is increasing in Egypt, where, where 8 to 10% of the population are Christians. Turkey, Sri Lanka, Algeria, all routinely persecute Christians. Basically, every Muslim country, every country that has a majority Muslim population persecutes Christians. It's only countries founded on Christian Judeo principles that allow freedom of religion. Not communist countries that are atheistic and not, in, not countries that are dominated by any other religion. Like, like in India, it's, it's the Hindus. It's only Christians that tolerate other religions because Christians... They battle in the, in the arena of ideas. They battle with truth. Oh, you have another religion? Let's talk about that. Let's see which one stands up. Countries dominated by other religions don't do that. We, we take our religious freedom for granted. And we have it because that our country was based on Christian principles, and it's ironic because there is a movement in our country for the last few decades to erase our Christian heritage. But that's where freedom came from. And then the writer, after saying, hey, we need to keep meeting together, draw near to God, hold tight to God's word, keep meeting together with God's people, then he gives us the why. He says, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And this stimulates kind of an odd word for us. It's interesting. It means confront or challenge or motivate. Motivate, I thought, well, that kind of works. It's just not strong enough. And English motivates kind of like, come on, you can do it. This is much more confrontational. It's a highly confrontational type of motivation. You know, challenge is a little closer. You know, why should we meet together? To challenge each other as believers. It's not peaceful. It's kind of strong. Scripture all over is telling us, hey, without a Christian friend in our life to challenge us, our spiritual growth will stagnate, and we won't experience a vibrant Christian life. If we're not iron sharpens iron, if we're not rubbing off on other people, if not challenging each other as believers, part of our job as believers is to challenge our friends to live consistently the Christian life. And this is completely countercultural today. Because everybody runs around saying, you know, only I can decide what's right for me. Nobody can judge me. Only I can decide what's, what's the right thing for me. That's a farce. Morality can't come from individuals because then there would be no morality because everybody would do what they think is right in their own eyes. And we can't leave it to people to establish 
morality because then people or groups, and that's what you have going on in America right now, and we see that in the news and everything else, is people are deciding what's right and wrong and what you need to hear and what you should hear and pointing out this and pointing that. It's all agenda-driven. We need our morality to come from outside of us, from above us, from our Creator. Without that, we're lost. We have no moral compass, no anchor. We're just floating adrift. We need the Word. And here's how that kind of shows up in our practical lives. We have all these opportunities in a country with free speech, kind of still. And so we all use our free speech, nothing wrong with that, as, and we speak out about things and we kind of go off on things and in social media we say this and say that and we go off about this or that and, and, and I'm not saying that in itself is wrong. We can express our opinions, that's, that's a good thing. What I'm saying is, as believers... Whatever we're saying publicly, whatever we're throwing out there, should first of all come from us as a believer. Not an employee that's mad at somebody, not at somebody that's mad at the government, not as a mom or a dad or anything else, or as a sports lover. It's Whatever we're writing, I'm not saying we can't comment on those things. We can. But anything we say should, number one, be filtered through the fact that we're believers first. That we should talk and interact like a believer. Like all that is secondary compared to God who is over us. Because people are watching our lives. Non-believers are watching us. They've got to see consistency. It's just like when we never share our faith with a non-believer. Well, non-believers are like, okay, well, either this person doesn't even believe their own faith... Or they don't care at all about me because they believe I'm going to hell when I die. We have to be consistent in our Christian life. And it's hanging around other believers that helps make that happen because we challenge each other. And then secondly, he says, encourage each other. This is like the opposite way of interacting with somebody. Challenge them, sort of confrontationally motivate them on one hand, but then on the other hand, it's the softer side. It's, it's the support side. It's the encouraging side. And we really need both, Scripture's saying. And we see the imbalance all the time. Some people, some Christians, or churches who are made up with, of, with a lot of people like that, are the super confronting. I mean, they confront everything. They're out there confronting, 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 but it's never with love. You've heard, you've probably, some of you have seen churches like that. And then on the flip side, there are other people and churches who are just accepting, accepting. It doesn't matter what you do, we will support you. It doesn't matter what you're involved in, it's okay. Both of those extremes are wrong. They don't work. They don't help you. A true church and a true Christian is balanced in that. 
We challenge our friends to be closer to God. We challenge them in their Christian walk. And then, but we also encourage and support them as they do the right thing, as they follow God. Not just anything they do. We support and love them, but we challenge them on the things that they're straying from God. And we support and encourage them as they're walking with God. We've got to have both. It's kind of like a husband who, you know, he's married, but let's say he just never comes home. He works just a normal, you know, eight to, eight to four kind of a job or whatever, eight to five. And, but then in the evening, he just goes and does other things. He doesn't come home to his family, doesn't come home for dinner, doesn't come home until everybody's in bed and then pops in bed. And, come, you know, and then if you were counseling a person like that, you'd be like, well, why aren't? Why are six, five, six days a week, you're not coming home in the evenings. You're not interacting with your family. We would say, wow, because you're never there, your physical presence is never there, then we would start to wonder relationally if everything was okay, right? We'd be like, something's going on here. This isn't right. Relationally, you're jacked up. You could say the same thing about a believer that doesn't show up at church regularly. It's like if you're not physically present, that seems to indicate that something relationally is out of whack. Every believer has a role to play, something to offer. By challenging our Christian friends, people that we know well, people that have allowed us to to be a part of their lives and encouraging others. I know people say, I'm from Colorado. You want to hear a whole bunch of people, a whole state of people who say things like, I can worship God way better in the mountains. Or here it's the lake or the woods than I can in church. Okay, I won't even argue that with you. But you're not fulfilling this command in Scripture when you do that. Sure, we can worship outside. We should worship outside. It's evidence of God's creation. It's, it's wondrous. It should drive us to our knees. It should make us shout for joy. It's great. I agree. It's not church. God invented church. And then one more thing he throws in here. Why not stop meeting together? so we can challenge each other, so we can encourage each other. And then he says, and we should challenge, encourage even more as we see the end approaching, as we see the end coming, drawing near. And a lot of people have been talking about this on social media. I don't know if you get this stuff, but I do. You know, it's like people send me different things and people are saying different things. And and here, here are some, we know the Bible tells us that someday in the future there will be a world ruler who will consolidate power, and part of the way he will do that is by controlling commerce all over the world. And then you'll need a mark, you'll need certain permission, this, that, and the other thing, and that's how he consolidates control. And at first he'll be very peaceful. He'll come sort of solving a problem, but soon he will be the problem. Because that world ruler is called the Antichrist. 
And I'm not going to go into details, although I would love to do it, and maybe I will in a few weeks, but when you see all this stuff happening, how quickly, I'm not accusing anybody of anything, it just all played out the way it played out. But as, as it's over and the dust is kind of settling, it is kind of strange how quickly freedoms were gone. And a lot of that happened, like in our state, through non-elected officials, you know, it's just kind of like, wow, that, there's a lot of power. Again, I'm not saying anybody did anything evil. I'm not calling anybody the Antichrist. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying, wow, that, that happened pretty fast. And then once those freedoms get taken, it's hard to get them back. Businesses that people spent their lifetimes building up just came crashing to a halt. They didn't do anything wrong. It, it just gives you an insight of how as we move on in time, as we move on in history, how much more easily we can see all that the Bible says that's going to happen. We can see, yeah, I can see how this can happen. Again, that, that's for another day. But, uh, and there's one more thing I want to bring out. There's another reason we need draw near to God, hold tight to God's word, Keep meeting together with God's people. Why meet together with God's people? Because we need to challenge them. We need to encourage them. We need to do that even more as we see the end drawing near. And we can see things that cause us to believe that the end is nearer. See them every day. But then the last thing is, hey, when we come together as church, when we keep meeting together, it helps us do the first two actions. It helps us to draw near to God and it helps us to hold tight to God's word. I think this is a time for all of us to kind of look around, take stock and recommit to church. I'm not saying if you're sick, come to church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying recommit to the importance of church and use your God-given wisdom to know when it's appropriate to come or not. But just be committed to the idea of not just being at church, not just attending church, but participating in church, being a part of church. Because God designed church to help us grow as believers. And he's designed all of us as Christians, once we become a Christian, with special gifts, abilities, to make church happen. And I got to tell you, I'm so glad to see you here today. Let's, let's stand for prayer. Then they're going to come out and lead a song. Aubrey's going to lead us. But let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for uh, keeping our country safe. I know people have died. There's nothing like what it could have been. And God, I pray that our country would give you the praise and the glory for that. And Father, we thank you for your goodness. But Lord, we remember you have not guaranteed us not one additional day 
from today. If our life ended before we got out of this room, you would have still been gracious to all of us. And God, help us to live out our lives in a way that honors you. And Father, we know that 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 means as Christians, we should draw near to you every day. Draw near to you, experience your closeness. Take a walk with you, pray with you, talk to you. God, that we would hold tight to your word, your revelation, how you told us about yourself. And church, what you made for us to be together and help each other focus on you and challenge others to do the same. God, thanks. Thanks for Grace Community Church. In Christ's name we pray, amen.